Welcome to the Medical Affairs Professional Society's Evidence Generation Focus Area Working Group. This is our first podcast in a series exploring the application of real-world evidence in regulatory decision-making. As members of the MAPS community, we encourage you to engage in conversations about evidence generation with other MAPS members via the community portal on the MAPS website. You can simply log in with the email address and password associated with your MAPS account and click on the discussion tab. Then scroll down to evidence generation to post the question or review previous postings. The views expressed in this recording are those of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of MAPS or the companies with which they are affiliated. This presentation is for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or regulatory advice. In today's podcast, we will discuss real-world evidence and its importance to pharma and biotech industries, other podcasts will be added on this topic, and hopefully these will stimulate discussions within your own company on the value of evidence generation. I am Dr. Sharice James. I currently serve as a working member of the MAPS Evidence Generation Working Group, and the objectives for today's podcast are to define real-world evidence, to demonstrate real-world evidence, and its impact to biotech and pharma. For today's conversation, I'm joined by Mr. Neil Belson, attorney at law. He's a new member of the MAPS organization, and Neil will be sharing his subject matter expertise with the MAPS membership. Neil has his own law practice in Maryland, which focuses on the pharmaceutical and biotechnology industry. He currently assists biopharma companies with legal issues associated with drug development, clinical trials, gene therapy, Precision Medicine, and Real-World Evidence. Neil, welcome to MAPS, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Cerise. I'm looking forward to it. Neil, tell me, what is the significance of real-world evidence for the pharma and biotechnology companies? To put it simply, real-world evidence has the potential to lead to faster and less expensive regulatory approvals for drugs and medical devices. Furthermore, real-world evidence can, and in fact is, used to support uh, approvals from payers and uh, formularies. Additionally, real-world evidence can answer questions which traditional clinical drug trials simply cannot, such as how effective drugs and medical devices are under real-world conditions outside of the carefully monitored conditions of a traditional clinical study. As evidence of their growing effectiveness, a recent Deloitte survey found that 94% of pharmaceutical industry respondents expect that real-world evidence is going to be an important part of their organizations by 2022. And uh, many consider it uh, a C-suite priority. So, Neil, you you mentioned the survey by Deloitte as far as the respondents and what the expectations are around the real-world evidence and how it's now a priority in C-suite. So how does that relate to manufacturing companies? Do they see the value of real-world evidence? 
And how does oh, yes. they view that as well? Yes. Well, first, let me answer your question about FDA. FDA is completely on board with the uh, expanded use of real-world evidence and regulatory applications. I think it's fair to say that they're not only willing to see it or even encouraging it. I think you could even say that they are driving expanded use of real-world evidence in regulatory affairs. They have put out a number of guidances over the last few years on the use of real-world evidence. And in 2018, they actually put out a framework for the use of real-world evidence. And last year, 2019, FDA's Drug Center and Biologic Center put out a draft guidance for including real-world evidence in regulatory submissions. In fact, the previous uh, FDA commissioner, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, called real-world evidence a, quote, top strategic priority for the FDA in December of 2018. And the current FDA commissioner, Dr. Stephen Hahn, stated this year that uh, real-world evidence offers, quote, great promise. So thank you for that, Neil. Just to clarify further, you highlighted the significance of real-world evidence for the industry. So help the audience to understand what exactly is real-world evidence. Thanks, Cerise, for that question. And yes, it's important to understand what exactly is real-world evidence. Now, FDA has defined real-world evidence as, quote, clinical evidence regarding the usage and potential benefits or risks of a medical product derived from analysis of real-world data. So that, of course, raises the question, what exactly is real-world data, which, after all, is what goes into developing real-world evidence. And real-world data is basically data that relates to a patient's health status or a delivery of health care to that patient that is routinely collected in the course of providing health care uh, to that patient. And real well, examples of real-world data would be, for example, a patient or physician electronic health records, hospital claims or insurance claims relating to the patient. It could be a, a registry that has been set up to monitor uh, outcomes and uh, treatments for a particular disease or a particular product or a particular treatment. But the key thing to keep in mind is real-world data is collected, not collected for regulatory or for regulatory or research purposes, particularly. Rather, in most cases, real world data is collected in the course of providing how actual patient care or for the purpose of uh, submitting uh, insurance claims. Now, it's actually real world data can be collected both prospectively or re retrospectively. In other words, you can say, I'm going to do a real-world evidence study and collect this kind of real-world data from real-life patient uses of a product in the future. Or you can do a retrospective study and say, I'm going to go back a few years and monitor these particular outcomes of these of patients which receive this particular healthcare treatment. Okay. And so in, in that regard, it's important to understand not all 
real-world data is suitable for regulatory purposes. And that's because real-world data is not collected for regulatory purposes. It's really collected in the course of providing patient care. And I should note that while it's unlikely that the real-world evidence will ever completely replace real the traditional randomized clinical trials in the foreseeable future, real-world evidence can become an important com- complementary source of information which can reduce time and cost of uh, carrying out clinical stud- of drug studies or treatment studies. And there are cases where it can, uh, in specific circumstances, completely replace traditional randomized clinical trials. Okay. So that was a lot of information around real-world data, real-world evidence. But for the lay audience, could you relay just one key distinction between the two? I would say the biggest difference between real-world evidence and data generated from uh, traditional randomized clinical trials is that the uh, randomized clinical trials generate data specifically for research purposes. Real-world evidence consists of analysis of data primarily generated for purposes other than drug or device research. Rather, in most cases, data obtained in the course of patient treatment Mm -hmm. and not generated specifically for the research purposes. So why do we really need real-world evidence? And what's wrong with our current system for testing drugs? The traditional randomized clinical trials have a number of limitations and flaws. In fact, the current director of FDA's drug center, Dr. Janet Woodcock, has on multiple occasions actually called our traditional system of randomized clinical trials, quote, broken. It's well known that randomized clinical trials are extremely expensive. Cost of uh, developing a new drug varies, estimates vary widely depending on uh, what data you take into account. For example, you're taking into account only that drug or all the failed uh, candidates that that went along with it. However, a number that typically gets caught bandied about is two million dollars, or sorry, two billion dollars to develop a uh, new drug. Randomized clinical trials are uh, inefficient, despite all the cost. Only about twelve percent of new drug candidates, which enter into clinical studies, ultimately receive marketing approval from FDA. Furthermore, randomized clinical trials often exclude potential trial subjects that have comorbidities, or in other words, more than one chronic condition because of potential confound, potentially confounding variables. However, for many products, the actual uh, patient population may include a number of patients over 65 years old and many with comorbidities. So the uh, eligible population for a particular randomized clinical trial may rule out a large portion of the uh, real-life patient population, thus providing a inaccurate, uh, thus meaning that the uh, study tr- population does not reflect the real-life patient population. Furthermore, because of the uh, careful monitoring of the subjects in a randomized clinical control trial, 
a number of possible uh, situations that may that may and uh, generally do occur in real life, such as inconsistent patient adherence. In other words, patients who do not stick and maintain the treatment regimen, often for valid reasons, such as uncomfortable side effects, uh, lack of perceived benefit or other reasons, difficulty of taking the medicine. Those factors often don't which are very important real-life factors, don't get measured into randomized clinical trial results as uh, significantly as they should. Additionally, randomized clinical trials, while they may indicate whether or not a particular treatment was effective with a particular patient, they often provide little insight as to why it was or was not effective. Additionally, randomized clinical trials are simply unsuitable for certain um, conditions such as rare rare diseases where there just isn't an adequate population available to uh, conduct a meaningful randomized clinical trial. The objective for the podcast was to define real-world evidence, to demonstrate real-world evidence and its impact to pharma and biotech. The takeaways from this podcast are the following. That real-world evidence is important because it's faster and less expensive than regulatory approval and provides information on how treatment performs under real-life conditions without the careful monitoring of a clinical drug study. Real-world evidence is affecting the pharmaceutical and biotechnology industries in a tangible way, as noted in the Deloitte survey, where 94% of the pharmaceutical industry respondents expect real-world evidence to be important in their organizations by 2022. The FDA feels that real-world evidence is encouraging and they're driving the use of real-world evidence as highlighted by the support of the commissioners of the FDA. As demonstrated in this podcast, there is a need for real-world evidence because our current system is broken. And while random controlled trials may indicate whether or not a treatment was effective, it often provides little insight as to why. This has been the first podcast in a series on real-world evidence and regulatory decision-making. In our next podcast, we will discuss real-world evidence, how did we get here, and how real-world evidence was used in a regulatory context, including to obtain regulatory approvals. In addition, there will be more information on real-world evidence in the future Elevate article and white paper that will be co-authored by Neil and Dr. Bob Honigberg later this year. A special thanks to Attorney Neil Belton for providing his expertise on this important topic. And if you're a MAPS member, thank you for your support of MAPS. If you're not a MAPS member and would like access to additional resources in this area, please visit the MAPS website to explore joining today at medicalaffairs.org slash membership. This concludes the podcast.